social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Because if you're social, then you really should be tweeting less. If you're social, then you really could be leading less. You can't have what people say it's so mysterious. Because you're social, you're a leader and you're serious. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of All the Social Ladies. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and I am here today with Hannah Edema. Hannah is based out of Missoula, Montana, and originally from Michigan. She manages the social media for the National Forest Foundation as the Communication and Development Associate. At the NFF, she also manages their website and email distribution as well as their annual fundraiser. So Hannah is super duper busy over working at the National Forest Foundation when she's not working. She's perusing social, but she also enjoys crafting sarcastic remarks, experiencing time travel through reading, and generally escaping the world into the woods, which is just, it sounds like she's at the perfect place ever to work. So welcome, Hannah. We're so happy to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm glad we connected at Social Fresh because you are the perfect guest to be on here because this is such a great um, topic, I think, and place that you were. It's like it's an incredible opportunity within social. But before we get into the National Forest Foundation, let's talk a little bit about how you got started and got your interest in social and how you came to be there. I want to hear all about it. Okay. Um, so I'm pretty young. I am only 25 mm-hmm. and sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's not so great to yep. admit to, but I am 25. So more or less, I grew up with social media, especially in my college career. I remember getting a Facebook account. I think the first or second day I moved into my dorm because that's what everyone was doing was friending someone you just met down the hall on Facebook. And so I needed to get that set up. And that's honestly how I learned everyone's names. And so I, you know, I use social all through college and my uh, education at Michigan State was pretty broad for liberal arts. And I had a couple really great programs and one one was arts and humanities and the second was called professional writing. And professional writing especially is a pretty vague term and people think, is that journalism? Is that, you know, English? What is that exactly? And I like to describe it as a program that gave us really the tools to be whatever we wanted to be in the communications realm. And we focus on everything from graphic design to editing and publishing and web design. In addition to social media, that was still kind of growing three or four years ago when I was in the program. And so we would look at at social media and how that was used in rhetoric and in communications. And it wasn't, you know, when I left Michigan State, I didn't, you know, go out thinking I'm going to conquer the world through social media or make that my career. It was just something that I kind of had in my toolbox of skills. And when I found this position at the National Forest Foundation, it was initially called a staff writing position, which provided just various amounts of communication support across the board and some fundraising. And after a few months when they realized I could be trusted with social media, (laughs) and it was a pretty small following at the time, they said, here, take it, run with it. As long as you don't do anything too bad, you know, you'll be good to go. So that's kind of how I started. And at the time, we had 3,000 Facebook fans and maybe 1,500 Twitter fans, and it has since grown quite a bit. And so since then, it's become a bit more of a role of what I do and the time that I spend on it, but I don't, it's definitely not all that I do, as you described yes, earlier. Yes, all of the many, many things that you do. And also, fun fact about this, because I do think um, 
it's very interesting in just getting out of school and growing into a space where you're you're going to take this type of job. You also moved states to somewhere you've never been before, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So I um, am originally from Michigan, and I, you know, when I graduated college, there was not much really tying me to Michigan, and I've been fortunate enough as a child and in school to to travel a bit and do semester abroad, and so I have no qualms about picking up and moving across the country or the world for that matter. And being the job market what it was a couple of three years ago, I was happy to go really anywhere as long as it was a paying job. And this is going to be an embarrassing story, and I know my mom's going to listen to this at some point, but it was my mom that actually found this job. She likes to live vicariously through me, and so the summer I was applying for jobs across the country, every other day she sent me a bunch of jobs to apply for as well. Some of them I would, some of them I wouldn't, and I think she found this one just by Googling Montana writer job, and it came up, and... I applied and I did a phone interview and a Skype interview, which was terrifying. And they said, if you want to come out here, we'll give it to you. And so it was a pretty big change, but I really didn't hesitate to move out. I'd always kind of wanted to live out West. And while I wasn't, you know, again, immediately drawn to conservation, I've always loved the outdoors and loved getting outside and going hiking and Michigan's the perfect place to do it. And having taken a couple of trips out West, I did not hesitate to make a new life in Missoula. That's really incredible and a good testament to moms everywhere. As a mom, <laughs> as a mom, I feel I would do the exact same thing. And I do think that quite often moms do know best. So I'm, I'm very happy you landed in a, in a good spot and, and uh, you should be thankful to your mom for that. That's pretty amazing. I am. And, and I think she's very happy and proud Aww. of me as well that I'm doing well in Missoula, Montana, but it is a good ways away. It's about a 29 hour drive. I think oh. if I did it again. Oh. Um, that is challenging. And what's also challenging is doing social media in a place like Missoula, Montana. Yes. It's, a, it's a city of about 60,000 people. Okay. A lot of it centers around the national forest and working for the federal government and managing them. We have a university here. But beyond that, it's a lot of nonprofits and it's pretty isolated. We're kind of three hours from anything. And so it's not exactly like I have a huge community or context to lean on for social media. Right. It's not like, right, that must be very challenging for you because in a lot of places there are meetups or there are different, you know, community manager based things or all different kinds yeah. of things like that. Oh, that's an interesting challenge. But I'm excited that you get to be in a space that really celebrates the outdoors. And I'm, I'm yeah. thrilled to hear and would love to hear about the National Forest Foundation. So why don't you educate us on the National Forests and the overall foundation as well? Absolutely. So I myself was a blissfully ignorant person that lived more or less out east on the East Coast yeah. and wasn't entirely sure of what national forests and what they were. And the biggest distinction or the most one of the biggest questions I get is what is the difference between a national forest and a national park? They're Correct. both managed by the federal government. So how are they different or why are they different? And to start from the top, national parks, which is Yellowstone, Yosemite, um, Glacier National Park, those are managed under the Department of Interior. And the national forests are managed under the, the Department of Agriculture, two very separate areas of the federal government. And then once you get down to the management level, national parks are managed for preservation, which means they do not really touch them. They don't alter the landscape. They don't do anything to change how it is. National forests are managed using what we call a multi-use mandate. And that means that they are used for many different purposes, one of which is recreation, which we all know about. A lot of people right. know them because they're the places where you can go for free camping or you can access a trail. But they're also used for logging and natural resources. They were originally established at the beginning of the 20th century for water because most 
something like a third of the country's water comes from national forest watersheds. And so someone early on, Gifford Pinchot, recognized that it was a pretty important thing to make sure these spaces stay healthy, not necessarily preserved, but healthy so that they continue to deliver water. And there's also some logging and varial mineral and gas usage as well. Um, so that's kind of the biggest difference. And where the National Forest Foundation comes into play is that we were originally chartered by Congress about 20 years ago to be a partner for the Forest Service. And we can do things that the Forest Service cannot. They are part of the federal government, clearly. We are our own nonprofit, 501c3, with our own board of directors and mission to do work on the national forests. And so we can ask people for money, which is something the federal government cannot do. Correct. And so we work closely with the Forest Service to find various areas of interest and things that align with our mission and what we do, which is a broad spectrum of things that could have its own podcast, but we do tree <laughs> planning. We do a lot of on-the-ground work for local organizations. We give them grants. We do watershed work. We do a lot of collaboration, which is really neat. We connect people from small organizations across the country that have similar interests and that can learn from each other, and we provide them the technical resources in order to make that happen and provide lessons learned. Um, so that's, a, that's kind of, in a nutshell, what we do and how I we think that's fit such, into the role. such a fascinating, first of all, it's a great background to educate the people on the podcast, as, because as we get into your goals of social, I think it's very important that they understand exactly how that ties in. And you just told that really, really beautifully. And it, to me, it seems like there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of goals that could be accomplished from using social. So tell me a little bit about how you're using social, what the goal is today, uh, and your approach for the National Forest Foundation. Sure. Um, so like you mentioned earlier, one of the biggest challenges that we face is, you know, the lack of understanding of national forests. And so that becomes a goal for me for social to really educate the public on everything that I just said <laughs> in various channels and various ways of doing that. And so if you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, you'll notice that I don't get super technical. I don't get super sciencey. I don't want you to have to feel like you have to have a forestry degree to understand what I'm talking about. I mostly just want to make you aware of these beautiful places and that they exist and that they there's more to wildlife and wilderness in this country beyond national parks. National forests are 193 million acres, the size of Texas, essentially, wow. of these, these lands across the country. And so I do a lot of posts about um, national forests. Just I can hone in on one national forest. I can highlight wilderness, which is another component of management as well, and really trying to basically tell people, educate them about national forests and the role that they play in, in our country and that they're not just there to be sitting there. They're for you to access and to use. And, and so then I sort of try to get them on that bandwagon and shift the messaging to what we do and the role that we play and say, hey, you know, we have these beautiful, you know, national forests, but unfortunately up to 80 million acres need attention and restoration either from fire or overuse or other natural disasters. And so we can come in and make sure that these lands stay as they are and producing what they do for the next generation to come, which is a pretty key message that a lot of people like to hone in on. And so that's kind of one strategy that I, or a goal that I seem to hone in on. And then, you know, as a nonprofit, of course, a goal is fundraising. Right. But I've, you know, since we've grown so much in the last couple of years, I have learned that you cannot do direct fundraising from social media. It is definitely about the community and the relationship that you establish with that fan base. And so I try and 
again, educate them what we do, make them interested in the work that we do and the stories that we're telling, and then get them down that channel of social media to our website, sign up for our email newsletter. And then through email, we can begin to further that relationship and then some, send some more direct appeals to them that could probably interest them in supporting the work that we do. It sounds like you're taking them from awareness to some form of action and that the deepest action, which is fundraising, right, and, and having them actually give um, is a few steps away. But getting them to sign up for something or doing something next is, sounds like really key. Engage anything along yeah. those lines. Yep. And we're trying to engage them, you know, not just as fundraising. That's kind of always on my mind. But we've been trying to get creative with our calls to action. And we just want to get them you know, of course, liking and sharing and commenting and retweeting and all those basic things. But we want them to share their stories on the National Forest. You know, so many people have a really intense and personal tie to them. You know, maybe someone they knew worked in the Forest Service or they always did a camping trip somewhere. And so we want to get them to share their stories or maybe they were on the National Forest this past weekend. You know, share that photo and really interact with other people. There's some pretty interesting comment conversations that happen occasionally, which is really fun to see. Well, it's really interesting because there are so many, you know, as what you're talking about across the country and all the acreage and, you know, all of that space. I would imagine that listening socially probably is a big challenge because they probably all refer to the different areas where they are differently, correct? Absolutely. There are 155 national forests and 20 national grasslands. And another struggle is that while they are across the country, the majority of them or many of them are in the western states. There are national forests out east, but that's where all the people live and there's less forests. And so proportionally, it can be a little bit harder to tell them, hey, just go for a hike on your backyard national forest when, sure, they're within a day's drive of a national forest. But for me, I can get out of a national forest in 20 minutes. It may take them four hours. And so you know, I can't always use the go-to connect via recreationally, but maybe their water comes from there or maybe they'll drive through there. And so it is hard to create some consistent messaging that everyone can, can hit with across the country and where they are in relation to national forests. Hannah, you're making me want to move out west. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I seem to be doing my job for the Yes, moment. yes, you're doing it. That works. That works really well. And I would imagine that, obviously, as a nonprofit and working, you know, so heavily into fundraising and that you're, you're – do you come all from donor – are you funded entirely – your organization is funded by, by donations or is it also the part of the government? It is um, almost all from donations. We do get a small appropriation from the federal government, but that money goes right out back on the ground. We don't really see it. They just use us as a mechanism to grant that out to local organizations in Colorado, in Florida, in New York to do the work. We just are merely the passer-thrower of that. So I would Um, imagine then for you, Hannah, that it would be very challenging because you're probably tight. uh, My guess is you're probably tight on resources, right, in order to be impactful and social, correct? I am very tight on resources. How do you – so tell me – tell me how do you make it work? What, how, do you, how do you do something and you say, like, okay, this was really successful today? Do you just work within a certain amount of, you know, you only do what you can or do you keep a very narrow focus? What do you do to make it work? Um, so there's definitely, you know, a bare minimum that I, I always keep whether when it comes to publishing posts. I always – there's only a set number of tweets that I have going a day, but there's anywhere from like four to 14, and I, I schedule them, which I'll talk about in a moment. And on Facebook, I have at least two posts going a day. So if I can just keep the post coming, that's fantastic. And sometimes I will – you know, experiment with more things and try a different focus for Facebook or Twitter. It really depends on my capacity at the moment and how much time I have to devote to developing that organic content. And so 
When it comes to publishing, though, we, we use a tool called Social Flow, a publishing platform yep. that we were connected with through one of our board members who is out of New York City and in the tech world and everything. Um, he's sort of been like a fairy godmother in some ways Aww. for me, which is both good and bad. Um, so anyway, we use this platform, so I schedule everything in advance. When it comes to Twitter, I will usually sit down and push those tweets in. You know, I'll spend an hour um, scheduling them for the next month. And so, and those are kind of my, my, my standard tweets, you could say, that are timeless content, just getting people back to the website. So a bunch of blog posts, stuff about our work, donation tweets, um, things of that nature that I just know that I'll have at least bare minimum, you know, five tweets going a day. And then every day I, of course, get newsletters and I'm checking the web and seeing what's happening with conservation and, and I'll stumble on news and then I'll tweet that as I can throughout the day. And for Facebook, I've found a really good tactic for me to save time is actually to have a theme on Facebook every week for our page. And that kind of gives me something to use so that I don't have to think of content, you know, five days a week for the entire year. For example, this week I'm focusing on iconic wilderness areas of national forests. This year is the 50th anniversary of the Wilderness Act, so a lot of my content is coming back to that. And so usually with a Facebook theme, I will do that morning's post tied to the theme. And so it takes a little burden off of me to be like, oh my gosh, what am I going to talk about tomorrow morning or this morning? And I'll be like, you know what, I set to pick a wilderness and do a post about that. And it, it makes it a lot easier. And when it comes to picking those themes, I try and take a step back and look at the month of August or August and September and say, okay, this week I'm going to do wilderness. Next week I'm going to do watersheds. And I can really kind of plan it out and be like, okay, I have way too many sciencey things back to back. Let's put, you know, a cute animal for a week in there or something like that. Um, so planning ahead is the number one thing that I do to stay sane when it comes to doing social media, I guess you could say. I really love how practical those tips are. I think that that's such a great approach for people who are resource strained. I think you really just gave a lot of good insight for people with who maybe don't have super huge budgets who need to produce social content. Um, I have a sp specific question for you around this um, with Facebook. So sure. Facebook changing the algorithm and, and having such a heavy push to paid, did that hurt the National Forest Foundation's page pretty badly? It, you know, it hurt it in terms of, of reach, definitely, post-reach, um, which proved to be a challenge for me because that would be a pretty steady stat that I would put in front of the C-suite. Yep. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't just show them, you know, a month-by-month -month table. And then there's a drastic, you know, decline in December. They would think that we were doing something wrong or right. people weren't interested. And, and I've had to thoroughly explain that Facebook changed their alg algorithm and it's not us. People are still seeing our content, but we have to work a little bit harder and pay a little bit more attention to what we're pushing out and the keywords that we use or maybe try doing some hashtags. Um, but one of the biggest metrics that we use that I use to the C-suite is just a very basic number and it's the number of fans that we have and it, it doesn't it's not super complicated clearly anyone can see it but our Facebook page is a huge piece of real estate that we like to offer up to our large partners and donors and to say hey if you can come in at you know $250,000 we will do two posts for you and that will reach you know upwards of 150,000 people. And so that's a really key metric that I like to follow and that I know or hope that will not change with any changes that Facebook puts forward. I actually love that you said that because in, in selling in partners, it is a key piece of real estate, right? So a lot of people look at with the algorithm change, like 
did I need to build this fan base? Why do I have this fan base? But I think that in general, for somebody like you guys, it makes so much sense that that's something that you can then re essentially like repurpose as part of your package for fundraising. I think that's great. Absolutely. It becomes a really good piece to offer. And, and I try and, you know, you, I, I protect Facebook pretty well. Um, a lot of my boss and my coworkers, they all know that you know, they can't just assume that when they give me something, it's going to get posted on Facebook. I'm very aware of what I'm sharing with our fans and I don't want to lose them or I don't want to do a bunch of corporate posts for five days and just think, have our audience think that we're just, you know, pushing all these partners. And so that's something I've been very aware of and I would encourage others to do as well when it comes to nonprofit pages. And so, Hannah, when you're convincing the C-suite to do some of this stuff and you, you have very you know, limited resources, it's really just you pushing forward and doing that, what do you say? How do you approach it so that they can understand and put it in terms that they can understand that this is something really important for the National Forest Foundation? Absolutely. Um, I usually try and, of course, you know, outline whatever program I'm going to do in a memo form and outline everything up front and say how it's going to work. Most importantly, how much it's going to cost. Um, I usually don't have any money. So when I do need money for something, I need to very clearly say how much it's going to project out to be. And then largely, you know, what is the benefit going to be back to the National Forest Foundation? And back in February, we ran our first photo contest using WooBox. And one of the biggest assets that we gained of that was photos. And there are countless photos, of course, of national forests and wilderness areas. And I have a pretty robust library. But when you post, you know, one to two photos every day on Facebook, you kind of go through that library after a while. And so I stress to them that, you know, quality photos of, of a professional standard, which of course they weren't all but many of them were, are expensive and they're hard to come by. And yes, I can comb the internet for them and find them or reach out to photographers, but that would take time and money and it would take more money than what this contest is going to cover us. And so not only do I have an increase of photos for Facebook and social media, but they're just in our photo library. We used a bunch of them in our annual report. We use them in our magazine. And again, those are other places that we'd have to otherwise be spending money. And so I really try and expand the life of whatever initiative or project that I'm putting forward to say, it's, you know, it may cost this, but in the end, it will save us all of this money. And, and then showing them what has worked in the past and how I'm going to grow on that is really important as well. And trying to stay away from as many sort of social media terms as I can is usually helpful. Yeah. I, again, I think that's super practical advice because I think that when you talk to the C-suite, you have to speak differently than you speak to the social media community, which is all about, Absolutely. Oh, you know, yes, exactly. So I, I really love that advice, Hannah. I think that's that's incredible. So tell me, so you're using social for the National Forest Foundation, but then there's also Hannah the person, right? So tell me a little bit about how you're using social media for yourself personally. Obviously, you grew up with social, right? And so yeah. how have you, do you, when you're using it, do you find that when you're using it for a company, um, it makes you less inclined to use it as a user or are you still, you know, a heavy user? Um, I, I think, I think I'm a pretty heavy user still. If for no other reason than when I go onto Facebook, I immediately see how my company's page is doing. And I see, oh, how did that post that went earlier this afternoon? How is that doing? Um, which just forces me to come back to Facebook whether I wanted to or not. Um, and I think if nothing else, it's made me a much smarter poster. And I, you know, I, I proofread my posts and I, I like to make them clever or worth liking. Um, I know that sounds so sad and kind of naive is that you want everyone to like your post, but I want to be 
pushing out good content to my friends and my followers, and I don't want them to be annoyed with me or defriend me as well. And so I'm, I frequently am aware of that, and I don't, you know, I don't post every day. I yep. don't post photos of my coffee, which I don't drink. But anyway, <laughs> those type of things. Um, so, yeah, and I, I, the biggest thing I use Facebook for is, you know, I'm originally from Michigan. Most of my family is still in Michigan. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious to see my relatives on Facebook. And I know they just like seeing my life and my photos and beautiful mountain scenes and everything like that. So it's been a really great tool to kind of stay connected to my family. And Twitter is just my absolute favorite. I love seeing tweets and I love to follow. That's a huge community for me for social media. As I mentioned before, I'm in Missoula, Montana. There's not a whole lot going out on here for social media. And, and then of course I love to tweet the Oscars and movies and baseball games and all that fun stuff. Me too. I think it's a great way. Actually, I think it makes sense that you said in a, in a community that's a little isolated, it's really good to connect with the broader scope. It sounds like you're using Facebook to connect with family and connect with friends, and you're using Twitter just to connect with people beyond Missoula, right? I mean, so I yeah, think that's... Yeah, absolutely. There's not too many of my really close friends that I, I think are even on Twitter as a sort of regular user, they may have an account, but it's, I'm not going to tweet back and forth with yeah. them or anything of that nature. So I definitely stay connected to the outside world through Twitter. I remember that somebody once said to me that Facebook is great for connecting with people you know, and Twitter is great for connecting with people you wish you knew. And I thought yes. that, that was really cool, right? Because you're connected around interest versus, yeah. um, and of course, all the celebs that are on Twitter. Yeah, I was going to say, all the celebrities I mean, I obviously, I right, exactly. And when they, if, if and when they follow you back, it's like a very big deal, obviously. Oh my gosh, when they get retweets by like <gasps> Curtis Granderson, who now is with the Mets, but was with the Yankees, I just nearly died. Or, you know, when he responded to a tweet. It was so crazy. you're a huge baseball fan then? Yeah, you could probably say that. I cheer for the Tigers. Ah, very nice. You know, it's it's quite pathetic, but I am quite the large Mets fan. Do love the Mets. Uh, quite. <laughs> don't you feel bad for me now? It's really. It's quite, I do a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's that's, really that's sad. Kind of sad. But you know what? I also have to cheer for the Detroit Lions. So I think. Oh, you know. I see. See, see, we have uh, the Mutts. The Mets, aka the New York <laughs> Mutts. So it's pretty sad. Okay, so tell me about. Um, Overall, what skill sets you think are really needed for this kind of career? What do you, I know you mentioned writing as a very strong one. Um, what do you think is important for a career in this field? Definitely writing, like you said. I think that's a very undervalued skill, and people think, oh, no one's reading anymore. I don't need to be a good writer, or I don't need to really hone in or know grammar or parts of speech and sentence, which I personally could geek out on until tomorrow. Yes. Um, but uh, writing is key because you have to write a really short, concise, engaging, witty post, and that doesn't come naturally to everybody. I think editing is huge. You have to be able to slash your writing or someone else writing, and you have to be able to be okay with that happening to you, which you have to kind of have to have a thick skin for. You definitely have to be a team player, but also a leader. And depending on where you land in social, if you're someone like me, I'm I'm a leader. I'm doing what I'm what I'm doing, and it's just me. But I also have to be able to work within the team of my staff and our communications team, which is me and one other person. But we work as a team. Um, and you have to be open to collaboration, and it's not it's not just you, you know, writing something. It's you working with people to send a message to the larger 
larger world, I think you have to have excellent time management skills and time sort of awareness and remember that you have to post every day or you have to schedule something to go that it does not come naturally to everybody. Missoula runs on like a 15 minute late behind schedule, which is really hard for my Midwestern self. But anyway, that is neither here nor there, but you have to, you know, (laughs) be planned and and organized is, is huge. I think those are probably, and again, the sense of creativity, you have to you know, think outside the box and don't just do what everybody else is doing on social and, and spending some time experimenting and brainstorming and talking with someone who's not in social media and, and their their job and their content and what would they be interested in seeing. I do that all the time with our staff and they they think differently than I do and I get so like tunnel visioned into Facebook or the National Forest Foundation and it's hard to step away from that. I agree. I think sometimes it's very hard to think like a normal person on social yeah. media. <laughs> We're not normal. Social. We're not normal at all. There's no normal. There's nothing normal there at all. I love it. Um, so tell me a little bit about, I know you talked about and mentioned creativity as a skill. You also do some guest blogging, right? Is that right for the Huffington Post? Oh, I did a guest blog. Well, that officially that makes happened. you That famous. was a very odd coincidence that but, happened and you did some good googling we did some that. we did some digging um, you are a, yeah. you to me that makes you a celebrity because i love anyone who guest blogs for the huffington post so just so you know it was a connection through that same board member and it was a, an initiative that huffington post labs was thinking about doing to connect sort of creative volunteers with organizations that would potentially need you know photography or a video or something and so i was writing a post to help them launch that and i don't know if it ever happened but I got to be on the Huffington Post for a day. So that I was mean, exciting. that is really exciting and a very good claim to fame, especially at such a young age, you know, where you are in your career and, and, and really building this brand and the overall kind of presence for the National Forest Foundation. I think it's really incredible. Seriously, Hannah, it's great. It, I've had to kind of be okay with that. And it's taken me a little while to, to realize that. And with the help of my friends around here and, and digitally, you know, that I've met on Twitter to recognize that. And I, I just, you know, get so like stuck in my office and I'm one person just pushing out right. some stuff. But to take a step back and be like, you know what, I'm 25 and You're I'm in awesome. charge of all of this stuff. Yeah. It's so great that you were able to do that, and it it just speaks highly of who you are as a person. And so I would love, and since you are accomplishing really great things at 25, I would love to know (laughs) what advice you would give to those who are even younger than you, who are just coming out of school, who are in this space. What, What advice would you give to a young woman just about to start out in the social field, a future social lady, if you will? (laughs) A future social lady. It's a great club to be in. Yes. Um. I would say be aware of your personal brand. And that's something that I'm sure they've heard many times before. Anyone that's applying for a job is always like, oh, well, you know, hide your photos on Facebook and make sure you're not posting anything bad. But it's more than that. It's especially on Twitter, because I think that's the most public of places it seems to be is, you know, have a personality, but, you know, also own that personality and don't just half-ass do it. You know, you got to really go for it if you're going to be in social and add things to the conversation. And I think you need to, again, be creative and be willing to take risks and be okay to fail. And I'm running an initiative right now on Twitter that may or may not do well, but you know what? I'll have learned something. The organization will have learned something. And, you know, be be okay to try something new and don't just have, you know, one trick up your sleeve. Like you've just got this great idea that you're just so excited to try with whoever hires you. Well, what's going to be next? You know, what's after that next good idea? And so, and be 
be flexible with, with what you want to do. And, you know, you may not be hired as a social media specialist. It may have a different title. And you may have to, you know, weasel your way in there. And that's fine. You just have to be excited. And one of my favorite things that I learned from college and that I tell my future people in my college at my arts and humanities school is show up to things. And, you know, nothing happens if you don't show up. And you have, like, that's 90% of the work is just showing up and being there. And I, you know, just take your life by the bull's horns, I guess, is what I could say. I love it. I really do. I think you had practical advice and really thoughtful feedback for people who are getting into the field. You are a perfect guest. And thank you so much for showing up today on The Social <laughs> Ladies. I love it. So anyone who'd love to follow Hannah because she is awesome, I would highly recommend following her at Hannah Bells. That's Hannah, B-E-L-L-E-S. And of course, you can follow the National Forest at National Forests on Twitter and the National Forest Foundation on Facebook. And Hannah, thank you so much for being here today. You're a wonderful guest, and I can't wait to watch your career grow. You are definitely an, a part of the All the Social Ladies Club for a long time to come. Thank you so much, Carrie. It was great to be here and connect with anyone and everyone on the interwebs from Missoula, Montana. Clearly. And if you are listening to this show and you are from Missoula, Montana, you need to call Hannah immediately <laughs> because, you know, you got to connect over there. It's a small town. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com.